Hi, friends. Hi. This is a very special two-part episode of Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace. Yesterday, in part one, we talked with novelist Celeste Ng. She's been dealing with racist and sexist harassment online for years. Mm -hmm. So now, for part two, we're talking to Taylor Lorenz. She's a staff writer for The Atlantic. And she's faced a lot of online harassment. I had one point where I was getting so much harassment and I changed my my Twitter profile to a man's profile. Like I just like put a man's photo for my photo and put this like male looking header just to see if it would stop the harassment. It literally did. Honestly, we both expected Taylor to tell us there's just nothing redeeming about the Internet, that it's a wasteland where harassers can really run free with their sexist, racist garbage. But we were wrong. Yeah, because Taylor Lorenz's story of the Internet is above all... A love story, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. Oh, my God. It was just it was amazing. Like, I finally felt like I found my place. This was way, way, way back in the heady days of like 2009. That's when Taylor first found Tumblr. Now, Tumblr is a microblogging site where you can talk to other microbloggers. And for a while, it felt like everybody was there. I mean, Beyonce had a Tumblr. Yes. I don't think she does anymore, though. But anyway, so seven or eight years ago, Taylor had dozens of Tumblrs. It was magical. I was just in this world. I had like over 80 tumblers. I was obsessed. I spent, I'm, I'm not kidding you when I tell you, I spent like 16 hours a day on Tumblr. Wow. Um, my entire friend group is from Tumblr. Oh my yeah. God. Like it was my life. Then Taylor became a political reporter. She covered the 2016 presidential election. And it's around that time when her experience with the internet changed. Taylor had definitely been trolled before she started covering politics, but it seemed to her that things got worse during the election. Even so, initially, she didn't take the harassment that seriously. It was still sort of a joke. Like, I think everyone still was like, haha, these toxic trolls, wow, they're awful. It's getting bad, but like... I don't think I realized, like, how bad it would get. It got really bad. The things these harassers told her were scary and really specific. They just say, they all say the same thing. They all say the same thing. They all say, another year you're, you're celebrating, celebrating, like, unmarried. unmarried. I mean, just constant critiques of your appearance. People, old, old, young, people hating on my voice. No one would ever marry me. Like, that's my worth. And, like, it was so hard. Just awful things. Yeah. Also rape threats. And after the election, things just got worse. In late 2017, Taylor covered both Milo Yiannopoulos's Free Speech Week at Berkeley mm. and the Unite the Right March in Charlottesville. Damn. She was mercilessly harassed online the whole time. Soon after, Taylor decided to stop reporting on politics. Understandably. The online harassment was a big reason why. But now at The Atlantic, she writes about the parts of the Internet that give her hope. Amazingly, those places still exist because she still believes that the Internet can be the great place she fell in love with. And she has tactics to get all of us there. This is Battle Tactics for your sexist workplace. I'm Eula Scott Bynum. I'm Jeannie Yandel. And yes, the Internet is sexist. Even if you met your closest friends there. And even if you found little corners of it that aren't totally toxic. Last year, when Taylor Lorenz stopped covering national politics and started writing about Internet culture, it was mostly a good change, in part because Taylor still loves the Internet she first found through Tumblr back in 2009. The Internet, literally, I wouldn't have my life without the Internet. Like, if I didn't discover Tumblr, I would have been 
depressed and probably still working at a call center and I wouldn't have any of my friends. I wouldn't have anything in life. Like I, I can't explain how grateful I feel towards like Tumblr and the internet for giving me everything. And so I, I like to find examples of like places where that's still happening and write about it and, you know, tell kids stories specifically of like how the internet is bringing people together or changing how people communicate or like forming online communities because that are usually positive, although they can be negative. Um, I guess, yeah, it's just, I feel so grateful about the internet and the internet played such a, and and social media played such a strong role in, in sort of like my life. And it's so part of my identity that, um, I can't imagine writing about anything else. It's it's just what I'm obsessed with. Yeah, oh, yeah. I want to be on your internet. No, for, uh, <laughs> and, and have, have like I love the '80s shirt or like yes. I, like born in the '80s shirts or like born in the '90s shirts. Yeah. I imagine there being like you know I'm a Tumblr kid shirt. I know. You know there should be community shirts like that where people can walk down the street and be like, "Oh, you too, me too." Oh. I know. I still like I'm still really close with a lot of my Tumblr friends and like we talk about that a lot and like how it affected our lives. I really like finding communities on small platforms and like I'm really into this app TikTok which is not even small it's half a billion users but <laughs> it's just like this weird other it's like what musically wrapped into it's just this like weird place where people go and post their like bizarre videos and I I like places like that more than like Twitter or Instagram that's like I mean I love Instagram but it's just oh, it's just so toxic I don't know so I think smaller weird communities are amazing and there's still there's still lots of good stuff on the internet yeah Yay. it's just trolls are you know, you got to deal with a lot of uh, people telling you to kill yourself. But, but <laughs> just just real life. But so, so, yeah. so at the new no job, yeah. So with the new job, with in terms of the now your new beat being, you know, the internet and the future of the internet. Are there trolls in that world? Like, do you still yes. get them? So many trolls. I had to. Yes, I've had to like lock down a lot of my accounts more recently. I get, but they're all like YouTuber fans. Like I, I mean, a lot of the work I was doing at People Magazine was around um, how the internet is changing the nature of fame and celebrity and stuff like that. And so I, I still sort of like got back into that now. And um, fandoms are insane. And if <laughs> mm-hmm. you say something wrong about like shane dawson or whoever like people will come for I you feel so old i have no idea me either <laughs> but in my head i was like oh if you know like and then i was like i don't know if, <laughs> the internet has so many people my favorite internet person is natural 85 have you ever heard of her no oh she just she's but she's this black woman that like taught all black women how to do their hair oh that's so cool yeah and like she has this gigantic following but then again like there are so many different like sub worlds you know what i mean yeah internet, so so mm-hmm. many i mean one thing that's really great is i think like the internet can educate people and like bring so many people together and really introduce new people to like new viewpoints and stuff, which is good. I mean, that, that they can be introducing them to like Nazi views too, but it's better because I'm like, you know, kids will harass me or like I've had to lock down my Instagram account because they'll just like post everything. Like, and I'm like, it's fine. Like, these kids are 11. Like I mm-hmm. kind of take it with a grain of salt. Like I click onto their profile and it's like, you know, Central Middle School class of 2018, and you're like, okay. You should respond with like the minute you find a, a friend or a partner, you're gonna stop having the time for this. So I go mean, out yeah. and like, pursue one versus the other. Yeah, Ugh. or I'm like, I have your mom's number. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, she's not home. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, how has your view of sexual, like, of sexist harassment on the internet changed, like, from these new jobs or from this um, career switch? Well, I think it's just been completely normalized by the internet and, like, by the, I think, like sort of sexist remarks are sort of just a fact of life on the internet. I mean, they were before, but not in such a pervasive way. So I guess my view of it is just that like, I had no idea the scale of how 
sexist our society was until I started sort of encountering it firsthand. I mean, I have black friends and they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's like we live in such a racist society. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I myself never realized that until, um, you know, the past couple of years. And like, I think just as a woman, I never realized like how much hatred people have towards women on the internet until until Twitter started uh, shoving them all in my face. And now I can't ignore them. <laughs> I have sort of like lost faith in humanity in some parts, but um, in others, I'm like, all right, this, this was always here. You know, these right. people have a platform now, but it's kind of better that it's being exposed, I think. But my, I've also completely changed my view on, I support free speech and stuff, but these platforms have the right to ban whoever they want. And, you know, mm-hmm. these people say, oh, like, oh, Twitter's getting rid of bots that are amplifying my bad messages. Like, this is censorship. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Mm. Why do you think, I mean, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but I have to ask. I mean, why do you think trolling and harassment directed at women is so bad? Like, why um, do you think it's so bad? Because we live in... <laughs> A sexist society that's been built on maintaining this male hierarchy of power, and I think that and that and that affects women. And I think I think harassment is is bad because when that hierarchy is threatened, you know, a lot of people feel threatened and they lash out. And I I think that you know we've seen that happen more and more. I don't know when it's going to change, but I think that you know the Me Too movement and all of this other stuff. My colleague Megan Garber has written some amazing pieces about sort of like the ways that women are speaking up and um, you know different sort of social movements and and women's role in them. And um, I just th- I th- yeah I think it's I think it's bad because everyone has a, an equal voice on a lot of these platforms and or not even equal. I mean, unfortunately, it's not equal because a lot of hate is amplified by these social platforms. Right. And, you know, there's just so much sexism and racism in this in this society that was sort of under the surface. And I think it's, it's like finally bubbled up and is being sort of like propagated by these social networks to like mass audiences. And so I think that that's why it's so bad. I think that these social platforms have a role to play, obviously. And I think that they need to take, they, they really need to have a, a harder reckoning about sort of like ways that they can um, better generate more sort of positive sentiment on their platforms. A lot of their current efforts are delusional. Mm-hmm. Sorry mm-hmm. to Instagram, but they're delusional. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> what do you think, you know, there are still plenty of people who are dismissive of online harassment that it's you know either it's a problem men. that can be ignored men yes that's yeah there are pl- men who are dismissive of online harassment what are they missing i mean i say men because in my experience it's been men but i know women can be dismissive of online harassment too i think anyone can be dismissive of online harassment if they haven't experienced it and to be honest you know if you dropped 2015 me uh, into the current world, I would have been extremely dismissive or I probably would have been like, oh, that's not as bad or oh, these people are exaggerating or like, oh, you know, whatever. But I think I think experiencing it really makes you believe. I think more people as they witness it are believing too. I think, you know, even if you haven't experienced it firsthand, if you witness it, especially happening to someone you're close to, you're going to believe it more. I think that as I've seen men, and this is, you know, not to say that there aren't amazing, empathetic men out there that that would believe it, but I think it's so awful that it's like, you don't want to believe it. You're, you're like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, this is horrible. So, you know, when I say like, oh man, don't believe it. It's not like, 
it's not like that they're they're doing that in some like malintentioned way. I think that it's like horrible and it's hard to comprehend unless you've experienced it or you've witnessed it. And I think that, you know, a lot of people in in positions of privilege in society, luckily for them, have not necessarily had to deal with it. So I don't blame them for not believing it because it's it seems really bad. I don't know if you told me in the past like how it would be. I probably would have been like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's real. So now that you have had this awakening, though, and you know all of this information, does it change how you interact with like people everywhere you go or like teenagers yeah. when you see them in real life? It's changed the way I interact with people in, in the, in, well, I think teens I'm sort of more forgiving of because they're just kids. And I'm, I just, I don't know. I think you can't really necessarily hold like a 13 year old accountable for some of the stuff they say online. You're a better person. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just ignore them. Um, but I mean, it's it's changed the way I interact with adults in the sense that I'm on guard a lot more. And I try to be more empathetic too, even when people are saying things that seem really insane. Like I, I'm like, okay, this is coming from some weird place. I just, I don't, I never want to incite anyone. So many people online, especially people that are, I want to say like victims of assault or something, you never know what you can say to trigger somebody online and whether that's going to trigger like a screed against women or trigger something, some very, you know, upsetting feelings about marginalization or somebody feels, you know, hurt because something you said made them feel othered or something like you just don't, I just don't want to offend anyone. And so I try very hard not to offend anyone and to remain open to beliefs and, and remain open. You know, I want people from all ends of the political spectrum to be able to feel like they can talk to me and I'm going to be fair. And so that that's really important to me. And that plays a big role in sort of like how I interact. You have you keep saying that you have faith in the Internet, like you have faith that it's going to get better, that the bad time is temporary and it's yeah. right now, but it's going to get better. Why do you think it's going to get better? Why do you have faith? I probably sound like one of those delusional people on the street that's like, there's a better time coming for us all. <laughs> I want to believe you. Yeah, no, it's not. I want to hear this. I, here's the thing. <laughs> I had a, I know that I had a better experience than I, I don't think it's sustainable for platforms. I think that if it stays this bad for a prolonged period of time, enough people will have bad experiences on it, on, on these platforms that they'll leave the platforms. And I think, and I, and I think that like so much of this harassment has, has sort of like sprung up because of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I think that if, if people have, I, I don't think it's sustainable for these platforms to remain so toxic. So I think that like more hope, more high profile users will leave, more regular people will experience toxicity. Mm. And I think that those the, these are for profit companies. They need to grow their user base every, you know, every quarter if they're public. And so I, I guess I have faith in capitalism in the sense that like it's <laughs> yeah. going to, you know, yeah. um, the market know will sort of consistent. Correct itself. Yeah. But I mean, these are also greedy, awful companies that prey on our attention. So kind of got to wonder. But um, I think I think people like like I, you know, I talk so so much to younger users and like younger users, like really young users are really savvy about the experiences that they sort of like curate for themselves online. And I think just more users like people um, are, are going to be more maybe thoughtful about the environments that they enter into. You know, I think that in that sense, I agree with sort of like this VC prediction that like people will move to these more like closed networks just because the bigger networks are kind of just shitty to be on. 
So I don't know. I don't know. I just am like, there's no way it's going to be bad like this forever. If this is the dystopia that we're living in, like, ugh. This is not the dystopia we want to live in. Ugh, Taylor clearly doesn't either. Right. So when we come back, she's going to lay out a ton of tactics for us individual users and the companies that run these social media platforms. Yes, pay attention, Twitter. We have all the tactics for you after the break. Okay, so our job is to undo this gross-ass dystopia where online harassers get to rip women apart online. It just We just can't have that anymore. Taylor Loren says, if we're going to fix this dystopia, a lot of the work is on the people who run social media platforms. Taylor told us what she would do differently if she controlled them. If I was queen of the internet, I mean, I would... I would ban a lot more people. I mean, I would ban a lot more negative comments. It doesn't seem like platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter really understand the depth of the harassment that happens on these platforms. Taylor says that increased understanding can happen in a few ways. First, social media companies need to hire leaders who actually use the platforms. You know, famously, Twitter hired all these execs that never really tweeted. Um, I don't think that Instagram, a lot of people at Instagram have any clue at how, like, young people actually use the platform. I mean, I think researchers know, but I think, like, a lot of PR people, marketing, product marketing, like, don't have any clue. And I wish these um, tech platforms would pay more attention to emergent user behavior on their own platform Mm -hmm. and, like, how that can translate into abuse. Second. Some social media platforms, looking at you, Twitter, hey, Twitter, could go a long way just by enforcing their own terms of service. You know, like the Alex Jones thing was an example where he had clearly violated platform or terms of service so many times. And Twitter is so hesitant to be seen as like silencing some, you know, speech or something. But it's like this person has clearly violated platforms. I wish that they would care less about like the PR look because the thing is they're they're making a PR disaster for themselves either way. Mm. Um, and I think that they should try to have some like moral accountability in the sense like, hey, this person is literally using our platform to harass Sandy Hook victims' parents. That's violating our terms of service. <laughs> Taylor also says social media platforms could give users a lot more control over what they see and who can contact them. There's a lot more that they could do with limiting commenting and giving users control over what they see in their own timeline. Like Twitter has done this with mentions, um, just allowing, you know, only seeing mentions from people you follow or people you're mutuals with or nobody with a, you know, default email address or some hasn't confirmed an email address or Hmm. default avatar. You know, I wish there were even more um, controls like that. Like nobody, you know, who has set up an account in the last month, you know, so that it sort of Mm -hmm. eliminates some of the throwaway accounts that just people set up just to harass. Okay, so it should be clear at this point, Twitter and Instagram and other social media platforms are not great at seeing how online harassment happens and intervening. Right. And this is not a controversial stance, by the way. There are approximately a jillion think pieces about exactly this, Mm. how Twitter and Facebook and Instagram need to get better at dealing with online harassment on their platforms. We'll send out some of those pieces in our newsletter. But Taylor has also learned a lot from her own experiences online. And while she's not suggesting every one of us just present as dudes online. Even though that did kind of work for her. Right. I mean, it really did. (laughs) But she's learned there are things individuals can do to reduce online harassment, even though it really, 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 as many reallys as you can use right here, should not be on the people getting harassed to stop this. 
don't engage with it. I like, don't, you're never going to educate someone. Like if somebody's like the people I've seen a lot of women on Instagram, which I love, they're like debates, Venmo me $20 for a debate and they don't do free debates online anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's so smart. Like I love it because people will be like, racism isn't real debate me <laughs> like and, you know on some black woman's I have time, post right because i have time so <laughs> yeah exactly and so like i kind of was like oh that's so smart i love this because it's a two-level tactic either choose not to try and educate these fools who are trying to tell you that racism and sexism ain't real lies or if you want to engage make sure they pay you for your time oh that's so good totally <laughs> it actually reminds me a little of Celeste Ng's tactic of telling harassers she donated money to causes that they likely hate every time they come at her online yes <laughs> here's another tactic too taylor thinks a lot about what personal information of hers is available online and how she talks when she's on social media you know you you want to have a voice and you should make your voice heard and you shouldn't be afraid but um, just protect yourself and make sure your personal info isn't out there and make sure that your Facebook profile is set to private. And also make sure that everything you say, you would be comfortable with like your employer seeing and just be aware that um, that like everything you say can be amplified to millions of people and mischaracterized in, you know, in a minute. So don't, you know, don't, I, I try not to say things sarcastically on Twitter that I think people could take out of context because so much of sarcasm can be taken out of context. So it's like, keep that in mind. That's smart. You know, old tweets and posts are potentially just a Google search away, which means harassers can find them. And other people can too. Taylor's next tactic is one she says a lot of prominent reporters use, and even celebrities. It's funny because like the steps you take to protect your privacy are probably ones that like any person in the public eye would take. But I think as somebody that's outspoken online, you should also take which is, yeah, I mean, unfriend a lot of people with the same last name as you on Facebook unless you want trolls to just go to your friend list and start harassing them because they'll do that. Like they'll go to your Facebook profile and be like, okay, everyone with the last name Lorenz. Oh, okay. I see Johnny Lorenz or whatever. That's probably Taylor's uncle. I'm going to call his place of employer and say that, you know, his niece is a fascist and she needs to denounce herself or, you know, whatever. Like trolls will just go on there and and leverage that. Okay. So this is a really smart tactic, but honestly, it made me kind of sad. I mean, One of the main ways I keep up with all my cousins and aunts and uncles, many of whom share my last name, is on social media. But I also never thought about how unfriending them could also potentially protect them. Mm. I'm kind of back to feeling like the Internet is just a garbage land filled with the worst of humanity. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so Taylor also pointed out that there are ways to create your own corner of the Internet and that it's mostly pretty lovely. And there are people who are actually doing that. I think also people, um, especially younger users, are better at creating their own sort of sub-networks for themselves. And that is a positive thing, I think, um, is is creating these closed communities in the sense of like it protects them from harassment. It can also be a breeding ground for extremism. But there's no singularly good technology out there. All technology can be used for good and bad. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're in the, the bad part now. Oh, I like this idea. We're just in the bad part now, but it's not forever. Hopefully. And I mean, well, look, I don't think Taylor's wrong. I mean, first, it does seem like we adults have made the Internet terrible. 
but we can't keep screwing it up forever, right? So <laughs> hooray for the kids in the future. Agreed. Yeah, you're so right. And also hooray for everyone who uses one of the tactics in this two-parter, because that means you're helping move us out of the bad part. You're helping us get to a future internet that isn't a racist, sexist hellhole. Yay! Thank you. And if you use any of the tactics from Queen of the Internet, Taylor Lorenz, or from Internet Goddess, Celeste Ng, mm-hmm. we will send you our digital internet matriarch badge. Yes, yes, yes. And when you use these tactics, you're helping to start that internet matriarchy Celeste talked about at the end of part one. It is going to be a beautiful thing, you guys. Mm -hmm. Tell us about using these tactics in the BTSW podcast Facebook group. Tweet us at BTSW podcast. Email us at BTSW at KOW.org. So many ways to tell us. Mm -hmm. Because we are so excited to hear how these tactics help make the internet a better place for all of us. And also maybe make things better IRL, too. Wait, what? What? In real life, IRL. Come on, Grandma. Oh, okay. <laughs> but for real, I'm going to keep pulling my weight in this long uphill fight against workplace sexism. Will you keep pulling yours? Oh, my God. Yes. Hell yes. Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace is a production of KUOW in Seattle. This episode was produced and edited by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez. Special thanks to Jim Gates and Kyle Norris. Thank you. Brendan Sweeney is our managing producer. Our theme music was composed by Kessia Gordon. Music in this episode also by Kevin McLeod. Our podcast was inspired by the book Feminist Fight Club by Jessica Bennett. I'm Jeannie Yandel. And I'm Eula Scott Bino. Keep up the good fight. See you next time. 